Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Today's guest will talk about prenups and possibly postnups. Now, I do understand that most of the people listening are already in the throes of the divorce, but some of you are going to remarry and you might find yourself confronting a prenup if you haven't done already. Others and the bulk of this audience who are in the throes of a divorce and already have a prenup may not be that happy with it. And so Laurie Israel, family law attorney, mediator, and author of The Generous Prenup. She's going to address what do you do if you have a lousy prenup? What makes up a lousy prenup? How can you turn this around? And now that you know better, you will have more tools to put together a better prenup if it's needed. So, Laurie, thank you and welcome. Thank you. It's very good to be here. What's a prenup? Let's just start with the basics. What's a prenup? What's a prenup? Okay. A prenup is a, a, a legal contract that spouses enter before they can enter, before they get married, that will determine some of their financial rights and obligations during the marriage. It will kind of define them. A prenup isn't necessarily a bad thing because the the rights can be very much aligned with state law rights and they might work, but then they would be set and you you would know what is happening when you're getting married. Um, So it sets the rights and obligations so that you're not depending on the state law rights and obligations if your marriage ends by divorce or if a marriage ends by death. When people set about getting a prenup, should they learn the laws of their state first? Well, they are, they're a prenup, you're, you're kind of required to do that and you're, you're, their attorneys will, will inform them because when you do a prenup to the extent you are waiving the laws, and the laws are wonderful. They've been developed over many years, but to the extent you're waiving them, you have to know what you're waiving. So you can look at state laws, and and in most cases, probably it's good not to have a prenup because states' laws are fine. But sometimes you want to change them a little bit, or you want to make sure that there's some sort of provision if your marriage ends in divorce so that you don't go to court. Because if you can't decide your divorce terms and you don't have a prenup, you're going to be in court. Whereas in a prenup, you can choose to have alternative dispute resolution methods in case the marriage ends. So in terms of knowing the laws of the state, there are two different categories of divorce laws, aren't there? One category is community property. It's You have a community property state that you live in. The other category is the equitable equitable distribution of assets and debts, right? Right. And they're actually not that different. They are different, but not that different because most most of the states, even with equitable distribution, will say that property by either party earned during the marriage is shared equally. Most community property states say that that's what the marital partnership is. And many equitable property states say that Premarital property and inherited property is separate, 
And that's what community property states say also in their laws. So why do people get prenups and spend a lot of time naming the assets and debts that they've already acquired prior to marriage when the state laws already take care of it? Because in, in, in equitable states, if there's not enough marital property, then perhaps some of the premarital property is shared and maybe some of the inherited property. And I think that's also could be true, possibly true in community property states, although I'm not sure about that, but maybe in a community property state, the harshness would be modified if a spouse was not left with enough by more community property being allocated. Um, so there are equitable principles in play. Um, and same with it also inherited property and premarital property can be commingled, and then it becomes questionable. That's right. But really, the, the wonderful benefit, I think, of prenups, one of them, and I'm not a prenup pusher. I'm kind of very leery about prenups because they can be so bad for people. But one of the wonderful things is that alternative dispute resolution. So if the marriage ends, I, I, if you can't negotiate it, my prenups say mediation first, then collaborative law, then binding arbitration to the extent possible, then non-binding arbitration. And, if, and that should solve everything because binding arbitration, which is basically out of court, way to solve, um, to have a judgment, basically, that can apply to almost anything in a marriage except custody of a child and, and uh, child support. Okay, so I want to get to this when we talk about solutions, but I want to go back and uh, explore something more. Two different types of laws, community property laws, equitable distribution of uh, property laws, uh, generally, uh, anything earned, acquired before the marriage with dollars we make on our jobs goes back to the person who uh, owned that. But when we're looking at prenups, and I have two different situations that I'm thinking of right now, people spousal support is one of the biggest difficulties, alimony in other states, That's same right. thing. That's one of the biggest uh, controversial points you can have. And so some years ago, I was working with a couple who lived in a very affluent area of Los Angeles. Their estate was worth $25 million all earned during the marriage. It was a long-term marriage, two children in high school. So you know it was long-term. They split it right down the middle. There that's, wasn't a peep about anything. That's normal. Therefore, that's normal. Therefore, I engaged a uh, an attorney. I said, look, I really, really want you to have an attorney look this over. Since you're so amicable, since the, this was so easy to do, let's just make sure because there were wineries, there were properties in other countries, there were a gazillion bank accounts, but they really did a great job of dividing it. And here's what I learned by the, the attorney who oversaw this. Mm -hmm. In California, we have a whole list of stipulations that go under the title of spousal support to determine, A, if spousal support is going to be paid, prenup or not, mm -hmm. and, to the, and, and to the extent that it will be paid, the length of time that it will be paid. 
And so this attorney said, because they each walked away with 12.5, she, who was the non-working spouse, no, there's no spousal support for her. That's quite enough money to continue your life without getting an extra amount. Yeah. Would yeah. you weigh in on that first, please? Um, I, I don't know what California law is, but if the attorney said there would be no spousal support it, under the law, then that's what California says, that if there's enough of a property division to reasonably sustain a person in their lifestyle, probably from the income of the property division so that the assets themselves wouldn't decline, um, then perhaps, it, you know, it, it's fair not to have um, spousal support because there's enough there that the spouse doesn't need it. Um, I think with if you if you have an example with $2 million split, so, so each person gets one or two million, then there would be spousal support. Um, because okay, so that was my next example yeah. that I was going to go to. Uh, a more recent one where kind of a non-working wife, but working a little bit, just mm-hmm. not an income that could even sustain one person without kids, mm-hmm. certainly in California, but a ton of inherited money. So, but what is that dividing line? So when I say a ton of inherited money, up to 2 million, Mm -hmm. but is that really considered a ton, I I wonder? Yeah, and also because it's separate property in, in, uh, it's separate property in California, and if they divide, you know, a couple of million or a few million in marital property, then I think that person would get alimony also on top of that. Okay. Okay. Because the alimony is part of the partnership interest in 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 the marriage, and, and if somebody is um, at home doing the home things and somebody is working, and then they have the income going forward, it's kind of part of the partnership interest in, income. In Massachusetts, it's it really has to do with need, and need has to do with the lifestyle of the marriage. Um, so people that are are more wealthy have greater need for money than people that are left more frugal. Okay, so we have the film industry here. Mm-hmm. Here's what happens in some of these, not only celebrity divorces, but film producers, the big wigs who actually put, put the films together. Mm-hmm. When there's a divorce and the wife, because I'm, I'm just talking about the, the traditional heterosexual marriage, but there's, there's enough gay marriages around too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've only dealt with in this category, the heterosexual marriages, mm-hmm. regardless. One spouse, the spouse who's working stays in the film industry. Wife who wasn't working was in charge of the fundraisers and keeping the family name out there in charitable ways, in, in culture ways. She doesn't get invited to the film premieres anymore. Regardless of how much money she gets, the status mm-hmm. in Los Angeles yeah. is where you're seen. Are you seen at the right restaurant? Are you seen at the film uh-huh. premieres? That is really interesting. And so when you say about need, a wealthier couple has more need for money. Well, they're used to money. You don't need all that money that you're living on. Nobody needs it. 
But, but what the law says, and this is in Massachusetts and most states and probably in California, is that if you had a wealthy lifestyle and you have a longish marriage or a medium marriage, you're not expected to now work at McDonald's and um, and live in a little apartment um, that you share with a roommate. No, so you're expected, to work, at, you're expected to work at Neiman Marcus, uh, Laurie. That's where you're expected to work, not McDonald's. Go ahead. As a buyer, maybe. But And, and also people that have been out of the job market, it's very, it, it's unrealistic for somebody in their 50s to start another career, to, to say, okay, now I'm going to be a buyer at Neiman Marcus or I'm going to go to law school or medical school. It's just unrealistic. Um, so, you know, there is a, there, there is a question of, of whether spousal support is appropriate. And I know people don't like to pay it and actually people don't like to receive it, which is why in prenups you can organize it. You can organize something like that. It's something you can organize. Um, you know, I really agree with what you just said. Honestly, I know that in the normal marriage, spousal support or alimony is an absolute must for the life, not even the lifestyle, but the actual life of the recipient to yes. eat, to pay rent. Right. So you, you're not poverty stricken right. because I understand just from talking to other people that divorce is one of the greatest reasons why women go into poverty because they're just not set up a, yes. after a certain period yes. to be able to sustain a def- decent lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, it depends how much money that the other person has. If the other person, the other spouse doesn't make so much money, then it's a real, it can be a real hardship on that person. But if, you know, if you're talking about these, these movie people that are making, um, you know, millions of dollars a year, how much money do they need? Can't they be kind to their ex-spouse and, um, make, make life good for the ex-spouse? Mm-hmm. They're only going to be giving her, a minor part of their income and they have assets. So, you know, isn't that a good thing to do, especially if she is the mother of your children? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And whether the children are grown or not. I mean, treating the mother of your children badly, um, you know, shows disrespect for what the mother has done. Absolutely. And I I completely agree with you, by the way, that the recipient doesn't really enjoy asking for it. Yeah, or or even accepting it. You think so? Even yeah. accepting it, many, it, it just hurts. It just hurts. It hurts them almost as badly as it hurts the person paying it. The provider. So, yeah. So it's almost better to do it with a money allocation. Allocate more assets to the person that that would have alimony, and that's that's money and uh, assets instead of alimony. And then it's done, and there's not that that painful connection each month when there's a salary check and not that ongoing possibility of litigation. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's go back to what makes a bad prenup. That's a a really interesting question. And I've thought about it since you asked it. Um, And basically a bad prenup is one that shows a lack of financial caring. That's the, the global answer is a lack of financial caring for the other spouse. And that hurts because that starts in the negotiations. And then it, it is set in the, um, in the actual prenup. And then the person lives with that. 
and it's kind of grows on you. And if the prenup, if there's a divorce and the prenup doesn't hurts the spouse with less money so that they are in a very, in a bad position, that's, that's a bad prenup. That's a lousy prenup. So there's all sorts of, you know, there's all sorts of sub sub issues in that. Okay, but I, and I want you to read them. I just want to go back to because it was so brilliantly said, and it really moved me when you said a lack of financial caring about the spouse who has less. I yeah, really how can that show love? How can that show love? Go ahead. So my theory is that prenups destroy, can destroy marriages. And when I do prenups, and I do it mostly as a mediator, um, I really, really try to get to a point where maybe it is the same as state law, but it's kind of adjusted and people know what will happen, um, especially important when there's a marriage and there's children from previous marriages, um, so that, you know, to try to figure out what you're going to do. So I actually call it a financial plan. And when you do it at medi- with mediation, which is wonderful, and more people are do it more professionals like you and me are doing that now. Then you get to talk with them face to face without attorneys um, trying to get the best deal for their clients, which is very destructive for the people that are going to get married. The process is horrible. So, Laurie, what I, I know you can't speak for the heart of somebody, but you have done many, you as an attorney have executed prenups. I, as a non attorney, have only mediated the terms, I haven't executed them. Why would one spouse want to make sure that they came out on top financially? I don't get it. Sometimes I think people have really funny relationships with with money. And I think uh, sometimes people, and you know, most of the people with more money are men. Let's, you know, let's be real about it. And one of the things is that they're told they're told things by their friends that got divorced and their friends got a, you know, a terrible divorce and he got a terrible divorce and he had to give up half his property, half all everything he earned during marriage. Well, that's, that's the rule in, you know, every state. Um, or he had to give up half of his retirement or she took everything, which means it probably what happened is she got the house and he got other stuff and it was equally divided. So people are encouraged also by the media because the media is saying there, there's a lot of attorneys that are marketing prenups and saying that they're a must-have. Everybody should have it. Every marriage, even first marriages, when you don't have anything. And I think I think that's a really super mistake to have it in a first marriage when you're youngish and you don't have anything um, for many reasons, which we can later. But, you know, and I think that people just... I think people from wealthy families or people that have family wealth that they didn't earn also don't have, can't have mature decisions about money that they didn't earn because so they, they are hung up on money. So I think, I think people with money are hung up on money. It's like if money is really a huge thing and you know, you have to ask yourself how much is enough money? How much is too much money? Uh, and it's bad to have too little money also. That makes Oh, it's absolutely bad difficult. to have too little money. I can speak yeah. for that firsthand yeah. from from my previous life. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what's on your list. What makes Okay, what's on my list? What's a lousy prenup? Mm-hmm. Um, picking well, prenups, the prenup law 
basically says you can take away rights and not give them. Um, the consideration in a contract was if you give something to me, I have to give something to you. If you give me money, I have to provide services to you. But in a prenup, it, the law is you don't have to provide consideration. So somebody can take something away without giving it. And that's a bad prenup because in a prenup, you can take something away and give something. You know, it doesn't have to be all one-sided. Um, and, there's, and there's ways to do that. Prenups have an easy exit plan for the person with more money. So, and the person with less money can't exit it. So she is in the position of having to be with somebody who's detestable, maybe, and treats her badly. And he can leave at any time without being hurt. And that's why very wealthy people, I think, tend to leave their marriages more often than people that are middle class, because middle class people need each other to provide the financial support and the assets that are necessary for their security. And rich people don't need that. And so the prenup gives a very easy exit plan, which makes the marriage really weak because the other spouse knows that. So that's bad. Um, Lots of times there's this awful negotiation in the beginning without enough time, and there's a, a wedding set, and it's going to be done, or else the wedding is called off, and there's a lot of guests and everything, and that happens a lot. So it's not done with enough thought about what might happen in the future. It's too rushed. Laurie, do you think that's done on purpose? I, I, I Sorry to interrupt. It can be. I mean, sometimes it. it is, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it just happens. And, um, and but it can be, and there's all sorts of hard wall. Like if you don't do this, then we're not getting married. And this is after people could be in a relationship for four or five years, a loving relationship. And if you don't do this, we're not getting married. So what do they do? You know, they're in a relationship where they've loved the other person. They think they could, they're going to have a life with the other person. But then you know, it's like money becomes more important than people. When money becomes more important than the marriage, that's bad. The marriage is more important. And when you do a prenup, you have to be, bear that in mind. You have to do things that are nurturing to the marriage, not destructive. I agree. Um, there's the um, um, leaving all, everything in the financial control of one spouse is is pretty damaging in, in many instances. Um, not providing enough marital property for the other person, whether the marriage ends in death or divorce. And if you know that's happening, you know, then it's going to make you not feel so good to the other person because they are not showing love and consideration to you. Notice how I use the word consideration, even though it's not required in a prenup. I love that. Um, no, I, yeah, I love And then you have a wealthy spouse that doesn't have to work anymore. And the other spouse has to work. And if she leaves her, her job, she'll never get back to it because she might be 10 years older or 15 years older. And she can be in a very dangerous situation, but she may want to leave her job to lead the lifestyle. They both may want her to leave her job, to lead the lifestyle of leisure. But that's then that can be very dangerous. And the same with raising children. Um, when you leave the workforce to do that to, or to put your career on second um, burner, um, you know, it's the, those are, you've changed your position, your financial position, depending on that the marriage will work out. And then if the marriage doesn't work out, the normal law, it's called promissory estoppel. The normal law would put you back in the place um, financially where you would have been. That's promissory estoppel. 
you make a promise to me. I I give up my my apartment. I move in with you. I, I sell all my property. I move in with you. I, I stop working, and then you divorce me. You've lost that. That partner has lost a lot, unless there's something in the prenup that that lets them get back to where they were. These are two, two very excellent points in this one last point. The first one, I just want to reiterate, if one spouse, if one person is very wealthy, the other person is not close to that, but did have a career, did earn enough money to give that person a decent lifestyle on their own, Now they put into the prenup, there will be no spousal support if the marriage does not succeed. Yet, the person with the job that makes less money will agree to have children, quit their career, raise children. And this is an enormous gamble, Mm -hmm. like it isn't a gamble anyway that you're getting married. How long will the marriage survive? It's a gamble unto itself. But now you've taken yourself out of controlling your own life Mm -hmm. you've now completely allowed somebody else to control your life and then unfortunately there'll be a divorce so say what you said again promissory estoppel promissory estoppel is if somebody promises something to you and then because of the promise you change your position you change your your economic position and then they withdraw that the benefit of that promise they owe you for the change of position so you know the, the you know part of spousal support is promissory estoppel because people have changed their position and you need to get them up to the point where they have strength, financial strength. And you, the the scenario is also if a woman if they're not raising children together, but somebody moves uh, leaves their life um, to be with this other person and um, and travel with them, you know. Yes. Yeah. Or to lead, lead a leisure life with them. So when you're mediating prenups and you have this disparity of income in front of you, and the topic is no spousal support or alimony, do you then talk about, well, what if you quit your career, you yes. raise children, this doesn't yes. work out, and the position you've just put yourself in, do you explore that? Yeah, we, we we explore that, and sometimes there there's an idea of yes, there might there might be alimony. Um, it, hopefully, it can be. Hopefully, it's in a state where you can have binding arbitration if you can't do it by mediation or collaborative law, so that you don't have to go to court on it. And you could say something. Or sometimes I say something like, the 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 more wealthy persons. Um, you know, you have to consider um, the more wealthy persons, the, the level of assets that each of them have, including marital assets, including separate assets. You know, you can say what's included. Um, if somebody's very wealthy but not working because they don't need to work, um, you know, you could say the, the, the less wealthy person is not going to have to pay that more wealthy person alimony. And if, if alimony is paid by the most, more wealthy person, it's not going to be paid because they have earned income. In which is the usual alimony gets paid out of earned income, and asset division is usually separate. But it could be uh, assets could be uh, you know used for it, or you you can try to have um, a reasonable property division if there's a divorce, but also an extra amount of property, maybe based on the length of the marriage, to to cover alimony rather than having it paid monthly. 
So you did mention that to correct a really bad prenup, we call them lousy prenups, in order to correct it, there's two mechanisms. You can either engage in a post-nuptial agreement to revise that once the marriage has taken place, or if we now have a divorce on our hands, mediation would be an option to at least have a discussion. Yes. About, go ahead with that. Yes, if the, if the more money spends is willing. But the, another thing that actually happens a lot that I've seen, because I'm working a lot with second marriages, where there was a prenup, a very wealthy person or a self-made person with a prenup in the first marriage. What I'm seeing a lot is when you have these prenups that aren't that generous, that aren't that good, the person with the more money who's getting a divorce makes it better because especially if there's kids from that marriage, because they don't want to, they don't want to be hard asses and they don't want their kids to think, think they're hard asses. So lots of times, and maybe guilt tripping is another, another possibility, not getting your kids in, in the middle of it. Um, but, um, you know, lots of times it treat it, the person will really come to the plate and do better than the prenup says. So there's that possibility too. That's really, that's really good. I was trying to, I was trying to envision that. I was just, a a few couples were flashing through my head. And I remember this one couple years ago. Uh, He, he and his family, exceptional investors in real estate and in uh, financial investments. They were just really good at it. She owned her own condo at the time, maybe an IRA, maybe, you know, some t- a level mm-hmm. of 401k, but she didn't have close mm-hmm. to the assets that he had. Mm-hmm. Well, like most, like a lot of couples, not most, they, they had the prenup. It advantaged him. But what he did was acted really generously throughout the marriage. Even throughout the marriage, he started converting her little assets into bigger assets. And he actually took one or two of his assets and put a portion of them and named her. So I was blown away. Right right thing. By how generous. Showing love to her and caring. Yes. That was, that was that's really great. It happens more than you 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 think. You know that's really good. He didn't want to be bound to do it, but he was doing it willingly, which is great. It put her in a much better position at divorce. It I want to, a little about enforceability before we because that's another issue because some people might want to contest their their prenup. Do you want me to talk about? That oh yeah, no, no, go right ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the problem with that is, is they're very, the grounds to contest a prenup are really, really minimal, um, almost in every state. And also the person contesting it, which is the less money it's best, is going to have to fund it. And usually what prenups say, if you lose it, if you lose the ca- case, you're going to pay the other person's attorney's fee because it says that in the prenup. Okay. So, and the grounds are so small. Like you would think that. If they were negotiating a prenup and it was a week before the wedding or two weeks before the wedding and he says, you know, agree with me or else we're not going to have the wedding, you'd think that's coercion. But it's not considered coercion because the law thinks that she can walk away. She hasn't signed that contract. It's a 
third-party contract, even though they've been together four and a half years or whatever, and, and they thought they had, she thought they had a really solid relationship. But if she doesn't, and she signs it, but it's not considered coercion. So that's really bad. Um, and let me see the other, the other, um, um, or, or duress. Um, and then the other major, major way of, of trying to invalidate, um, a prenup is to say that the, it was unconscionable when you, Entered into it, or unconscionable um, when you when you ended it, and that's a really difficult thing to prove. It has to be just so so bad at the beginning that um, that, and then you have to prove it in a court in a court case. So that's that's not very good for somebody wanting to test it. So it's really really important for people to know that when they get into a prenup. That's going to be the terms of their divorce, unless the unless the other spouse becomes generous, or unless the prenup terms are changed during the marriage. Laurie, how about this? What if one of the spouses actually writes the prenup themselves? Uh, enforceable or not? You know, it, it would be enforceable, and probably even if the other spouse didn't have an, a lawyer. I, th- I don't know if there's any state that requires a lawyer for a prenup to be enforceable. It may require a lawyer, possibly if alimony is waived. Um, it may say that if you have a lawyer, you can sign it closer to the prenup, to the marriage date. But you're not required to have a lawyer. Two people could write their own prenup. And that brings me to the the um, the prenups that are sold online. I was just going terrible. to ask you about that. They, they are so, prenups are so complicated and so important to find out everything and really weigh and go what ifs with people and have actual contact and discussions with people. Best to do it in mediation when they're both face to face. You can't do that on, online. I've seen some of these programs. It's just impossible. So that you're going to get into a prenup that's like done with a cleaver rather than a scalpel. If you if you if you do that, I think it's not a good idea. I also know that there's a trend for millennials to say you have to have a prenup. They don't want to have a financial marriage, and I think there's a problem with that because um, not everybody works their whole lives. Some people become householders. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in a marriage, and I I believe that when you don't have a financial connection also to the other connections, you are not having a full marriage. And I'm talking about first marriages of relatively young people. And they also... Say that again about first marriages. I'm talking about first marriages of relatively young people, not people in second marriages. Okay. Um, So I think it's, I think in general, having prenup except for unusual circumstances is, is having one is a mistake. All right, so let's just say uh, one one spouse, the lower earning spouse felt kind of imposed upon to deal with the prenup. It's only a couple weeks before the wedding. How bad can this be? I'll go ahead and sign it. And then once the dust settles and she just sits down and maybe reads it or he sits down and maybe reads it. Oh, shoot. I really agreed to that. Yeah. So now you want to approach them with a post nup. Can we revise any of this, honey? Yes. Right. Any little tips? 
Well, a lot of times the Mormon spouse will say, I'm sorry, I really made a mistake. I've done mediations like that. Have you? Oh, yeah, where where they feel so bad about the process and what happened and they've thought about it. I've had people come back, you know, five years after the marriage, initiated by the more wealthy spouse or the less wealthy spouse. But then you can put it on a tape, put it on the dining room table and, you know, put a copy, make sure the kids don't see it. But, um, you know, you can, there's ways of, you know, bringing the issue up again and trying to fix the parts of it that are not working, that are corrosive to the marriage. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And, and also, also, if there's not enough time, sometimes people are willing to get married and then agree that they have good faith that they will get a postnup like within a year, mm-hmm. which is really a prenup. Postnup. It's a postnup because they didn't quite finish the prenup right. and they need more time to do it. Right. And if they don't do it, they can get divorced, but it will be a shorter marriage. You know, and usually with a shorter marriage, there's less financial rights and obligations. Truly, truly. Well, for the person who feels forced or listening now who felt forced, and you're going into another marriage. Um, forewarned is forearmed. Experience, you know, is the mother of all teachers. So now you are into your second, you're approaching your second marriage and you are the less earning spouse yet again. And you're being approached with a prenup. Would you say that the more seasoned person getting married should say, Wait a minute. <laughs> no, Let's I, talk about this. And if you can't talk about it, yeah. money is the biggest driving factor of people getting divorced. Right. That's right. Yes, right. Um, well, first of all, don't. what you should never do is have somebody present a prenup to you as the first step. Like, you know, the more money spouse gets a prenup, and I'd like you to take a look at this and maybe sign it. Just, you know, tell them you're going to throw, rip it up and throw it away because you need a process first. You need a process with your spouse, your future spouse, to try to figure out what the terms of your marriage, the financial terms of your marriage will be. And it needs to be a mutually agreed to and conceived plan that is done together. And it very much helps having a third party neutral conduct those discussions and that's what mediators do um so i i tell people that if they get a prenup draft just throw it away or if somebody tries to make me look at one if i'm representing somebody i'm not gonna uh, i just want to tell them i'm not gonna look at it we're gonna start with a term sheet and the term sheet is just a really streamlined way of trying to make the decisions and there's a lot of decisions to be made decisions about in a later life marriage about using retirement assets for support as you're getting older. Just uh, There's probably 20 major decisions in each prenup that have to be made and talked about and talked about with the parties with, with um, you know, either the, another way that some people are doing is with collaborative counsel. So there's it's like a collaborative prenup. But then you're already starting with two people and two lawyers, which may be useful in some circumstances. Um, but in a lot, a lot of times doing it with a mediator, and I think divorce mediators or collaborative lawyers that are divorce mediators 
are the best people to do this because they they under it's not just asset protection for them they're understanding the values of marriage and what happens in long marriages um in and they're very sensitive to the dynamics absolutely of not so, long term marriage so what you just said i i loved it and i want to say it again in bullet point form if one person, if one fiance hands the other fiance an already written prenup, hey, or take a look at it, I'd like you to sign it, say no. No, say I love you, but no, I'm not going to look at it. I'm, I'm going to put it in, in the garbage can. Let's start a process together. Okay, so this is bullet point number two. Putting a prenup together is a process. And, process. and from what you already said in this interview, it's a process with consideration to both people. Right. That's so that right. one person isn't seriously advantaged, not only in, okay, keeping whatever they made prior to marriage, but what are we going to build in mm -hmm. our marriage, what's the whole point of even getting married if you're not going to build things together? Mm -hmm. And building things together happen to be assets. Yes, and and families, but yes, right, right, and and it doesn't. You don't have to disadvantage either party because there's certain things that the more moneyed spouse will want, um, which is maybe some certainty about what will happen, and that can be usually. You know, sometimes I deal with two people and one person, the less money spouse or the younger less money spouse, you know, really doesn't want to prenup. It sounds very unromantic. And then we start talking about lots of times that it it's becomes very clear very quickly in the prenup process that that person is going to actually be getting more benefits than state law would provide it. Many prenups are like that. The good the prenups are like that, yes. right? Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you're marrying somebody older who's more established, who has lots of premarital property and a shorter life to build a shorter work life to build up marital property. You make accommodations. And they're, they're, the good thing about the prenups in that situation is they're set. You talked about them. You understand them. You both agree to them. They seem like a good idea for your future that will be fair to both parties because a prenup needs to be fair also to the money spouse. See, I like that you said this, and I've never really heard anybody else talk about prenups need to be fair to both parties. Yeah, they both have to feel good about signing this piece of paper, which is a financial plan for their marriage. And when you call it a financial plan for your marriage, that kind of takes the prenup well, thing yeah. out of it. Wow. But that's what it is. It it makes a lot of sense if done that way. Yeah. And then the whole issue of spousal support or alimony takes on a whole different context and meaning if you're really looking out for one another. Yes. With consideration, we want a balanced financial plan i love that yeah and i the more money spouse loves the other person and doesn't want to let the other person down in case the marriage ends in divorce that they want to have it's you know the even if the divorce ends the marriage ends in divorce it still has to be fair to both parties and not leave one spouse in a terrible position 
Okay, I just thought of one thing that it actually escaped me when I was talking just a second ago, and that is there was one prenup that I reviewed some years ago, and it said if the lower money spouse commits adultery and that's why the marriage is ending, there will be no spousal support. Yeah, that, that's, that's I, I, I don't think, these are called lifestyle provisions or bad boy, bad girl provisions. And I, I, I think that they're very hard to enforce. I think judges don't like to enforce them because uh, what's adultery? Is it just looking at somebody else, having an emotional affair, penetration? You know, what is it? Touching them? Kissing? What is it? And, you know, when people have, when people have affairs, there, there's, that's why, that's why God invented no fault divorce. Because, you know, marriage is very long and people are human and they do have affairs sometimes. And maybe it's because the marriage isn't, isn't satisfying to both sides. So right. you know, I, I don't think I would never write, a, a, allow in the ones I do, I would never write a provision like that. Okay. I don't think, you know, I don't think people should be blamed for leaving a marriage because they don't love the other person anymore. Um, you know, people. I, I know. know. I agree with you on that's that. That's why it's a no-fault divorce. It's you know, people. I think that the fact that fifty marriages actually stay together is a really large percentage. It's very high. I never heard anybody say that either. Yeah. I have to mull because, that. Uh, think about how what long-term marriages marriages are like. You know, people, and and for that reason, when I choose attorneys or mediators for prenups. I tend to choose people that are at least in their fifties, people and people that have experienced mm. long-term marriages themselves. Maybe even if they're not in them anymore, because I think you know long-term marriage is a thing, and anybody in a long-term marriage um, knows how difficult it is. And every marriage has difficulties. And if you don't get through the difficulties, you can just go from marriage to marriage. And one of the problems with prenup prenups, if you don't have that interconnectedness financially then it's just easy to leave it and i think there is value in a long-term marriage in a marriage that ends at death i agree i agree listen laurie i am so happy you wrote this book the generous prenup i want anybody who is dealing with a prenup and a divorce right now to please get this you can get it on amazon right easy right. enough to do and um, call Laurie because your her viewpoint is so different on prenups, how to put them together, how to address them once they're done, and how to use them in the case of divorce. Uh, it's such a unique and interesting perspective, Laurie. Thank you very much for sharing this in Thank book you. form and with our audience on this podcast. So as we leave, I know people, uh, your information will be in the show notes, but I also like, I know people like to take notes and write down at least one point of contact information. Would you share that with yes. the audience? Um, my website is laurieisrael.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-I-S-R-A-E-L. No dot, laurieisrael.com. And you'll get all the contact information there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This was a thank really you, good time. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us as well. I hope you had a really good time. 
This was exceptional information. So different than any other attorney I've ever spoken to. So thank you very much for listening. Please respond with your comments. There is an opportunity to do that on my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.